Hey, Mark, how's it going? What's up, Matt? What's shaking? Hey, uh, you uh, have this eerie green halo around your head. <laughs> or, did you dye your hair for St. Patty's? No, yeah, this is the uh, this is actually the spirit of liberty that follows me everywhere. It's kind of like a, a greenish hue wherever I go. It's like my aura. The ghost of Murray Rothbard. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it, it, it might be uh, early St. Patty's Day. Perhaps. Nice. The nice. spirit emanating from me. So I'm trying to figure out, um, somebody tweeted recently, and it was one of the ladies of liberty, not not the formal ladies of liberty, but someone that you and I probably know well, but I don't remember who it was that was complaining about podcasts where podcasters mm -hmm. talk about other people's podcasts. <laughs> and I thought that that was an excellent idea, actually. So <laughs> I, I wanted to uh, have you on to talk about um, podcasting. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of joking, but not, but, uh, you guys just had like your, what your 500th episode or something insane like that. Yeah. Well, it was actually, it was actually my personal 500th episode, but under the, uh, the greater Lions of Liberty banner, we're actually more close to over a thousand. Uh, cause, um, two of my associates, Brian McWilliams, John Odermatt, they have their own, uh, sort of shoot off shows. They're all in the same feed. So you get some great variety. Uh, each and every week, three days a week. And now doing this uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday is when you'll hear John's show, Finding Freedom. For, for several years, that was uh, called Felony Friday, uh, focusing primarily on the criminal justice system. He did a, a lot of really incredible interviews with people who have been through that system and lived through it and been given horrible sentences and come out actually better people for it. So there's really been some inspiring stories there, but uh, we decided to slightly rebrand re re that show to Finding Freedom, uh, which you'll now find on Thursdays. But yeah, we've been uh, we've been pumping it out for uh, close to eight years now uh, since this whole thing started, which which seems wild. But when uh, when I first started, this might be hard to believe, Matt, there were hardly any other libertarian podcasts out there. That That's why I started mine, not because I was a podcaster, not because I had interest in really doing this at all. I just wanted to hear an interview every week with a libertarian, and I couldn't find it so i started it yeah who was there someone in particular who was your inspiration someone you listened to not not too much i mean there was a couple guys podcasting at the time like um this guy robert wenzel was doing some sporadic podcasts uh lou rockwell will put out the occasional interview but none of them were consistent none of them were each and every week and this is a point when i was starting to listen to podcasts like all the time whether i was at the gym walking my dogs doing some work at home i was constantly absorbing podcasts and i just found it to be an awesome medium but i i wasn't finding the the sort of the political content i was looking for um, out there. So there wasn't really a particular libertarian podcaster that inspired me. I like to think that I inspired Tom Woods, who actually started his show about a month after mine. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the, that's the tale I like to tell, because uh, uh, I basically had this this fancy dream once I decided to launch the podcast that I'm, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to be the guy every libertarian goes to, every libertarian subject, everything. You're going to come to Lions of Liberty. Why? Because we're the only ones here. But then about you know, three weeks after I launch, I, I see an ad for the Tom Woods show, five days a week. Uh, so I had a little bit of competition there, but, um, you know, actually Tom and my, myself to an extent have, I think, helped pave the way for the the girth of libertarian podcasts that we see out there now. I mean, you could literally at this point listen to a different libertarian podcast every day for a year and you would not have listened to them all. So I like to think we pave the way for people. Um, and it's, it's really a mix of people like Tom Woods, who I don't know, as far as I'm concerned, he's a natural, like from, from his very first episode, he felt like a natural, he was born to do this. He'd been obviously uh, speaking in the libertarian community for a long time, giving speeches, uh, hosting Peter Schiff's radio show. So he had 
lot of experience on that end. But I like to think we also help show people that um, I don't want to say anybody can podcast because it, it does take a tremendous amount of work. It does take a tremendous amount of self-growth. Uh, I mean, I, I was certainly was not a natural at all. Um, but I also don't have superpowers. There's nothing particularly special about me. I had I had not, uh, you know, I had no professional experience doing audio or anything like that. Uh, so in a sense, if you're willing to work hard and put the effort in, in that case, just about anybody can do it. You know, it's kind of, uh, you were you were sort of OG on this stuff, but I feel like, uh, I mean, obviously everyone's doing it now and, and everybody saw like the intellectual dark web and Joe Rogan and and now Joe Rogan is like bigger than like both CNN and MSNBC combined or something insane like that. But there is sort of this counter-revolution in, in the way that particularly young people are consuming content and and conversational styles and storytelling seems to be um, you know, contrary to the conventional wisdom, it seems to be the way that they like their information because it doesn't really, um, it does it doesn't force them to think a certain way. It allows them to think for themselves, is the way I think about it. Yeah, and I think the existence of of podcasts overall and um, the ability to break out of that corporate radio format where, okay, we're going to talk for seven minutes, then we're going to go to a three and a half minute commercial, then we're going to come back and, and and the subjects are all planned by my producer back here because I am i don't really, I'm just kind of a robot. I'm not actually a real person and I'm just repeating what I'm told to say. That format, um, the fact that we have, have this alternative to that format has exposed that format for just how fake it is and how not real it is. Uh, so when you have someone like Joe Rogan paving the way out there by having these three hour unedited, entirely natural, at least they were unedited before the Spotify move, that's a whole different thing, but uh, largely unedited conversations, real conversations with what started out as just friends of his, just other comedians he knew. Uh, but I, I think that caught on so much because of the contrast to that sort of corporate radio format. Uh, it actually felt real because it is real, uh, at least a lot more real uh, than what we're all used to growing up to. Uh, the, the talk radio that I heard growing up with my dad, whether it was uh, Sean Hannity or, or Rush Limbaugh or, or whoever it may be, uh, they all had to fit into a certain format. Uh, you're going to get the same kind of seven minutes on, three minutes off, uh, seven minutes back on. And I think there's something about breaking out of the conversation too. Like, of course, we have some ads in our podcast, but they're fairly sporadic and we try to keep it to a, to a really bare minimum. Uh, whereas when you're broken out of the conversation every seven minutes, I mean, it, it snaps you back out of it. It, it. it makes you realize that, oh yeah, I'm just listening to a program, not so much a real conversation. So I think the, the freedom of the podcast format has enabled people like us to bring a lot more real, uh, more raw conversations to people, which has really caught on. I think the more people realize that that, that is the alternative, uh, the more they are just going to continue to shun the more traditional formats. Yeah, my, my history, my ancient history is, is doing a lot of uh, traditional TV like Fox News, uh, um, Bill Maher, which is a little more, slightly more conversational. But when I have someone that's used to doing old TV and they come on, um, they'll give me a sound bite instead of a conversation. And it like, mm -hmm. you can't really learn much from sound bites and it gets, it gets pretty tiresome, which is why I don't like to have too many politicians on because I want someone that's willing to have a conversation and they're, they're sort of trained in sound bites. Even, even the ones that, uh, can be authentic. They're, they're just used to that fake format. And I think it's hard to break out of it. 
Exactly. I think early on uh, when I got into podcasting, I could I could quickly tell the guests that I would invite on who were not used to being podcast guests. They were perhaps used to being guests on more traditional media, whether it's TV or radio. And you can tell that by the answers you get, because the answer will just be a 15 second soundbite and then and then they'll stop and they'll just say, oh, OK, you're, you expect me to say something else here. OK, uh, moving on. Uh, but, yeah. you know, but. That's 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 actually a very rare guest, uh, luckily, I think, for me, because most of the people I reach out to, um, at least in the early days, most of those people were uh, people in the libertarian circles, people who were used to having really long, drawn out, intensive conversations on subjects like people like Walter Block, who will gladly sit down with you for three hours and talk about the ethics of vaccines in an anarcho-capitalist society. Um, these are people that like to talk about this stuff or Stephen Kinsella will hop on for 90 minutes and talk about intellectual property with you because that's what he likes to do. Um, so that, that's probably what made up most of my guests. But it, it does it does really stand out when you find someone that, oh, this person thinks they're just coming on to give a, a radio interview. They're just here with sound bites. And then then you got to kind of work a little harder to to draw the the personality out of them. But most of them have in there. Like you said, it's not that they're, they're fake people. It's that they're just so used to that format. They're used to having to wedge themselves into that. And they've kind of been trained that way. So uh, the podcast format is hopefully hopefully untraining people, both, ear, both uh, listeners and guests, that we can actually have much more real conversations uh, that aren't just, you know, sound bites we're trying to splice between commercial breaks. And and by the way, you're allowed to think out loud. Um, mm -hmm. Hopefully you're allowed to make mistakes. Uh, we, we seldom will cut anything out of this podcast unless it's just a complete technical meltdown or, or a meltdown in my brain, which happens as well, because that's that's sort of part of the ethos. Like we're going to we're going to show you everything and, and hopefully it's worth watching. But to, to me that I think part of what young people hunger is, is um, people that are honestly expressing an idea, even if it's half-baked and willing to sort of like um, put it up to a test, um, have it be challenged, have a, have a civil argument or an honest argument, whatever that is, instead of the shout fest. I, a couple of years ago, I went back on MSNBC for some um, completely naive reason thinking that we could have a conversation about something that I was actually interested in talking about, but it immediately devolved into you are that tea party guy. And why do you hate people so much that you won't give them socialized medicine? And I'm like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> that was it for you, huh? That was it. That was it. But you were, um, so your, your origin story is kind of interesting because you are a Ron Paul libertarian. He was your gateway drug Tell that story because people of your generation, I think, I think almost exclusively, not exclusively, but but a lot of you guys kind of come from the same place. You saw Ron Paul speak somewhere and you're like, wow, that dude's different. Yeah, pre pretty much. I mean, for me, it happened, I think, a lot earlier than it happened to most people because most people were first introduced to Ron Paul uh, from his 2007, 2008 presidential run. I actually learned about him, not to age myself too much here, but probably eight or nine years prior to that, when I was in college and a good friend of mine, uh, his name is Howie, he's a part of the podcast right now. He's a, he's a regular contributor to, to Lions Liberty. Um, he was uh, what you might call a drinking buddy. You know, we would find ourselves having late night conversations, three, four, five, who knows how, in the, how late in the morning. And uh, it would often come up uh, that when he was in high school, he used to be a congressional page. He worked for some congressman, some Democratic congressman in, a, in a, out of Pennsylvania. And uh, congressional pages, they're basically like interns that work for congressmen. Uh, so he would go to school 
school from like five in the morning to nine in the morning every day and then go work in Congress till to who knows when. So and this is as a high schooler. But uh, one thing he always used to talk about was not the congressman he worked for, not not the ins and outs of, of how Congress worked or anything like that. He always used to talk about this guy, this guy named Ron Paul, who he used to who he got to know a little bit. He would actually like go to his office sometimes, sit down with him. Uh, he would talk to him about this crazy idea called liberty. Uh, and he would always make a point to go watch Ron Paul's speeches um, in the in the in the Hall of Congress. And uh, he, he would he would be there every time, even when you'd see the chamber emptying of congressmen who just didn't want to hear this guy ramble, how he would go in, in there, sit down and make sure he got to hear everything uh, that Dr. Paul was saying. So uh, I'm like an 18, 19 year old kid, uh, you know, just just kind of I have really very little political ideas of my own at the time. And I hear this this guy just telling me about this this old congressman from Texas constantly. I'm like, why is why is this guy talking about we're trying to, you know, trying to have a party here. We're trying to meet girls. Like, why is this guy telling me about this old congressman? But uh, he seemed to be really excited about it. So I said, OK, I'll I'll check out his column. He said, you just got to read his stuff. Go check out his column. And he had a, a column at the time called Texas Straight Talk. Uh, so I started reading that. And uh, I say when I say I didn't have really strong political ideas of my own, I didn't really have like an ideology I was specifically attached to, but I had a, a vague understanding of politics because my my father was very much into politics. He's a Republican, and I grew up listening to all that like Republican talk radio uh, growing up. Bob Grant, uh, eventually Rush Limbaugh, Curtis Lewa. So I, I had like an idea of what the conversation was, but I just didn't feel strongly wedded to a, to an ideology of any kind. But what struck to, what really struck me about Dr. Paul uh, reading his weekly column at the time, almost everything he wrote about was attacking Republicans. He would be attacking them on the war on drugs, attacking them on uh, eventually the Patriot Act, attacking them on attacking George Bush on Medicare Part B uh, or Part D or C or whatever part it was. Uh, but there's plenty to it to go after Republicans uh, on in the early 90s from the, the liberty point of view, not the early 90s, late 90s, early 2000s from that liberty point of view. And uh, Dr. Paul went after them. It seemed like he went after them harder than he went after Democrats about anything. And that, that really stood out to me because it made me realize, okay, there's this guy with the R next to his name, as far as I understand politics to be up until this point, I I was up under the impression that Republicans criticized Democrats, Democrats criticized Republicans, and that was as far as that went. But uh, here was someone taking a totally different stance. And um, what I really realized through reading his columns consistently is that he wasn't uh, he wasn't attacking Republicans just to uh, just to kind of stand out. It was because uh, he came at things from a point of principle. Uh, this idea called individual rights, individual liberty. And it didn't matter that he happened to be elected as a Republican. If he saw individual rights being disrespected, if he saw them taking a stance against individual liberty, which they certainly did often, he would go after them, just like he would do with Democrats. Although I think he probably went after Republicans harder when they were in power, because maybe for him it was a little more personal when, when they were uh, the ones putting out these um, programs and laws and statements that are that totally are affronts to the ideas of liberty because they're supposed to be the party that is in favor of that stuff. They're supposed to be the party that uh, does put individual rights first, that does put personal uh, responsibility towards the forefront. And I, I, I feel like he got a little more fired up seeing it coming from his own side. Uh, but ultimately, he really showed me the fact that politics should not be just about you You pick a team for some reason. Maybe your dad was on that team or your mom was on that team or what have you, and you just take their side. You should actually have a position. You should actually have principles and try to filter everything through those principles. And he is the first one to expose me to that, that concept at all. I had never even 
thought of the idea of having political principle and, and applying that equally. Uh, so yeah, I, I became a big fan of his. And of course, when this same person who had already inspired me in, in so many ways just to think differently about politics, when I saw him running for president, I just said, well, okay, this isn't going to go anywhere, but I, I'm interested. I'll, I'll see what happens. And uh, it obviously just took off way more than I ever could have imagined. I like to think that me sharing Ron Paul videos um, on my MySpace page uh, played a part in that, but I, I don't think I was uh, the only the only one sharing them like a maniac. And uh, yeah, it really became much more than I ever could have imagined. It could have been, it totally could have been the catalyst. And I like to think you, so. You, you remind me of another um, guy that got into politics because of Ron Paul, Thomas Massey. And Mm -hmm. And he's he says that he's not a partisan. He's an ideologue. And that's why he also finds himself constantly criticizing Republicans, because Republicans, at least at least they used to. I'm not sure how much they do it today, but they used to sort of make those 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 arguments about individual liberty and limited government and and constitutional restraints on executive power and all that stuff. So like he, he's. He probably feels like you got to beat the Republicans before you beat the Democrats. But there's this whole Ron Paul generation, and I want to get back to to this later. But you you you've reminded me of something that I had totally forgotten about. And I used to work on Capitol Hill in the early 1990s, and I believe that Ron Paul was there. He kind of came and went once or twice, and I don't remember the years anymore. Um, but the use of the empty house floor and giving those speeches, which would run continuously on C-SPAN, that was a way even back then to sort of hack the, the system. If you couldn't get on the three TV networks with your crazy libertarian views and, and the Republican Party wasn't really going to platform you either, you could go on C-SPAN and, you know, late at night and give those floor speeches. And I ought to go back and see if he was one of the one of the originators of that tactic. I know eventually Newt Gingrich would use it very effectively building up to the 1994 Republican revolution, but it's, it's also just a, like, it's a, it's a radical way to use old media basically. Yeah, indeed. I mean, that was how you could reach people um, without, you know, before there were social media, before you had Twitter, before you could have an army of psychopaths uh, tweeting your videos on their MySpace page, you could kind of hack the system in a way by, if well, if, if you can hack the system by getting into Congress first, at least, uh, then you can just kind of talk as much as you want, because C-SPAN, that's what they're there for. They're going to run the whole thing, and who knows what kind of weirdos you're going to, they're going to see your speech at four in the morning that are, they're going to connect with you and start getting more interested in your, in your ideas. But I can't, I have to imagine there are tens and tens of thousands of people that did first get exposed to those, those ideas by stumbling upon uh, a Ron Paul speech late at night. And, and not only that, but those those speeches and getting everything into the congressional record, that really gave him tremendous credibility when he went uh, along with his voting record of voting no one on almost everything. It gave him a tremendous credibility when he actually ran for president. When he ran on those same principles, he could actually point to, no, I've been saying this for 30 years. You can actually go watch them all. C-SPAN has, has the tapes. They have the records. You can look at the congressional record, and I've actually voted against everything that I said I was against. Now, there might be a vote here, a vote here, here that we could, you know, quibble about from a libertarian perspective. But the point is, he did everything consistently from his point of view. Um, and that that's really what I always took away from, from Ron Paul. Not as much, not even so much his ideology. Uh, I largely agree with it. I don't agree with him on everything. There's certainly a number of rabbit holes I could, I could go down on on specific issues. Uh, but but it's really just more, it's the stoicism is what it is. It's, it's the sticking to your own principles or altering them as you learn new truths and learn to see things in new ways but sticking to that principle and and never breaking 
separating it from it, not not breaking away and from it just to to make a political deal or not endorsing a presidential candidate uh, just to sort of make yourself look better in, in the party uh, if you're really opposed to everything they stand for. That's something that Ron Paul would just never do, which other people that sort of take his, his similar stance uh, through Congress don't necessarily have that same consistency. And, you know, it would be almost impossible to operate in politics and have that same consistency as Ron Paul. At the end of the day, I just think he had really no actual political aspiration at all. So he was willing to always tell the truth and willing to never, ever make a deal over anything. And and that is something extremely rare, something that we haven't even seen necessarily um, from his predecessors. You know, I, I don't know how conscious he was doing this, but he he, he told me he was on uh, my podcast, which was sort of a bucket list thing for me. Three or four months ago, we actually flew down to to Houston and and talked to him in his office. But it took me a while to figure out what the hell he was doing because you know I, I started off as a policy guy, I was an economist, and and I uh, I got sucked into Washington D.C. politics um, because I went to George Mason University for graduate school, so I was. I was w- within the grasp of the Death Star, and I really didn't have any choice about it. But I had this idea in my mind that I was going to use politics to um, to make good public policy. And when I first ran into Ron Paul, all he did was vote no. And he gave floor speeches explaining why he was voting no. But consciously or not, and I think he was just being a stubborn libertarian, but consciously or not, he was he was building brand authenticity that by the time he got around to running as a Republican in the presidential stage, um, the kids thought he was cool because he was the only guy in Washington at the time that actually had consistently said the same thing all those years. And and now we sort of appreciate that as as sort of um, burnishing your your brand and, and not corrupting it by by saying one thing to some people and other things to other people like all politicians do. And he was using politics not as, and I'm going somewhere with this, he was using politics not as a means of passing good policy, he was using politics as a cultural soapbox to spread the word. And and I don't know if he knew that at the time, but um, you and a million people like you are, are sort of living proof that that's, that's what he did so successfully. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I don't know if he ever could have imagined that the things he was doing, the votes he was taking, uh, the speeches he was giving and putting into that congressional record, if they, if he ever imagined uh, the sort of intellectual revolution that that it would inspire. But that is exactly what did inspire us. It's, it's what inspired me to get excited about his presidential campaign. Uh, it's what inspired me to hammer home to my dad, like, no, you have to listen to this guy. I remember the first time I sent him uh, a Ron Paul clip from YouTube. It was something about, I think, Ron Paul was comparing uh, the situa- situation in Iraq to Vietnam. And my dad is a Vietnam veteran, veteran, and he basically replied, like, this guy's a wacko. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, put your time and money elsewhere. And I emailed back. I, I remember I said, I think you're wrong here, Dad, actually. I got to be honest. I-, I really think he's worth supporting. I hope you'll continue to keep your, your, your mind open on this. And I would just be consistent. As, as consistent as Ron Paul was in his votes and his speeches, I would consistently send my dad another clip. Send my dad, because my dad was really a true Republican in the sense of he really did believe in individual responsibility, individual rights. Um, but I, I tried to help help use the Ron Paul to show him. I kind of made it my mission. Like, if, if someone's going to see this, it's got to be you. Like, come on. And he, eventually he came around and said, you know what? 
and and but it was really that credibility that helped to I think show him. It wasn't just his his um you know debate appearances because those could be you know to me they they got me fired up and excited. But he wasn't always the most coherent. If you didn't know what he was talking about, you might not always get make all the connections that he's trying to make in a sixty second soundbite. Uh, so sometimes he would come across a little loony to people that didn't fully you know quote unquote get it during during um, you know those those debate appearances. But uh, it was really that 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 credibility. It, it was his, his history of the no votes. I, I would say, look, look at his history. He's voted against all this stuff, all the stuff the Republicans you've been supporting are for. How could you, how could you not be for him? Look at everything he's been saying all these years. And eventually my dad became around. He became a Ron Paul supporter, Ron, Ron Paul donor. And I like to think the whole thing really helped change his overall uh, political view. I mean, I, I wouldn't call my dad like a, a hardcore anarcho-capitalist anarcho libertarian or anything, but it, it has certainly shaped the way he's viewed politics over the years. And to me, that's, that's just one small victory for me, because I mean, the the reason I started Lions of Liberty, the reason we started this, it was actually just a few friends of mine that first started it as a website. Uh, we all knew each other from college, from Penn State. That's where the lion comes from, and uh, we really wanted to capture that spirit of Ron Paul. Um, and first, we did it through writing articles, kind of covering the campaign, uh, filtering different news events through those same ideas of individual rights and individual liberty. Uh, and then eventually, that became is what became the Lions of Liberty podcast. And but that's always been that's always been the way we've seen things. We want to um, not necessarily parrot Ron Paul's talking points because any because then we can just you know post Ron Paul videos all day. You don't need us to do that. Uh, but it's really that same spirit that that stoicism that uh, that um, that drive to be bold to speak truth to power and to to not really be concerned about you know about saying the right thing to become accepted i mean we could probably have become a lot more successful a lot faster by be becoming uh, a mini ben shapiro's uh, some people might say i'm a mini ben shapiro because we both talk really fast i think he might be the only podcaster that actually talks faster than i do uh, but we, uh, we, yeah, we could have been like little, little Charlie Kirk's or Turning Point USA's and probably been more quote unquote successful. We probably could have gotten more downloads taking positions like that. So, um, to us, it's always just been about, uh, trying to capture that spirit and really trying to lead by example and, uh, be good people and try to have honest, natural, real conversations with people. And, uh, it takes time to build an audience that way because people have to find you and people have to become attracted to it. People have to really learn to become part of your community. But that's, that's ultimately what, what podcast is what the podcasting format is it is about building a community uh as as niche as these communities might be th that's something that you that you can do through the podcast format that you just can't really do in that that corporate uh corporate standardized radio format that we were, we were discussing earlier you know the uh the there i i happen to also believe that the the counter-revolution is sort of anti-clickbait it's anti just saying what people want you to what they want to hear. And it goes back to that sort of Ron Paul authenticity. And I've argued for years that that Bernie Sanders essentially had the same ethos. Like, how is it that Ron Paul and Bernie Sanders both galvanized the imagination of young people? I think part of it was that they were they were saying what they believed and and not necessarily in the most articulate way, not necessarily um, looking like the coolest kids on the block. Um, and, and, you know, the, the difference I think is that, um, the, not the difference, but like, there's this clash, right. Between clickbait, the Charlie Kirks of the world who are always, um, and there's, there's a left analog to Charlie Kirk. I don't know who it is right now. Um, maybe it's AOC. I don't know. I don't know if she, she doesn't have the sort of the history of being as authentic as, 
as as Bernie has, but maybe maybe she will someday. Um, but the counter revolution is is authenticity, and I hate using that word because it's a it's a corporate buzzword now. But like honesty, like like you know, speak the truth, uh, truth's power, all that stuff. Um, and I, I hope that you and I and a bunch of people that are trying to do this break through. Um, but it, it is tempting to go the clickbait route because, you know, if, if you get the eyeballs, then you can sell the ads and, and the whole system is designed to encourage bad behavior. It feels like. Sure. I mean, and, and you have to be a marketer to some extent too. So, I mean, sure. I might, uh, I might cater a podcast title sometimes to be a, a title that might attract more people because that's part of marketing to an extent, but uh, it's really just keeping that content really feeling authentic. That's what's going to keep people there. Um, you know, especially, I mean, there's always certain trending terms. I mean, that might be in the news. And if I talk about it in an episode, sure, I might make sure that term is in the title of the episode uh, because we do always need to be thinking about these things to some extent. But at this, the same time, you can, you can clickbait away all day long and get the clicks. You can get the initial clicks through a many, many tactics, but getting the clicks isn't going to help you grow a community. Getting the clicks, you could spend your whole life just spending money on getting clicks and and all of this uh, but if the clicks are not actually clicking you know if they're clicking but not clicking in their minds clicking in their heart and soul with what you're doing and what you're putting out there then they're ultimately meaningless clicks and they're not actually doing anything to to build a community and uh, you know so, to sort of you know, build a little niche a niche little group um, around your your podcast uh, or a podcast or what I say I say podcast because that's what I do but it, it could be anything it could be a uh, YouTube channel it could be you know any kind of media at all uh, really the, the the direction of the future here, uh, really the present more than the future, but uh, is is really building communities, uh, building brands, building your, own, building your own personal brand, building your own credibility, your own authority in certain spaces. Because at the end of the day, I think uh, the way the economy is going, almost everyone has to have their own brand if they really are going to want to make anything, anything of themselves. It doesn't even really matter what that is. I, I mean, even if you're a freelance plumber, you could probably do well to build a brand around that and have you have you become known as like the the friendly cool plumber in your area and that's your brand because we're we're going to have to brand ourselves in some way shape or form because the corporate structure is collapsing and and changing rapidly and most of the corporate jobs that we see out there right now are either not going to exist in 5 or 10 years or they're going to be you know so radically different that they're they're either not going to pay as much or they're just going to be it's going to be so different than what anybody has now that many people are going to be displaced including people that feel very very comfortable in their current position, including people that think to themselves, a robot can never do my job. It can. It's, it's going to. <laughs> so um, that's something I've been preparing myself uh, for personally and professionally over the years. And uh, I know it's coming. So I'm just trying to make myself as ready for it as possible. And that was that was quite a, a segue. I'm not sure how we got to this uh, this part of the yeah. conversation from Ron Paul. But <laughs> well, it um, it it gets to like uh, you, you just hosted a, a debate um, between um, uh, Eric Brakey and I'm not blanking cause I'm old. We'll, we'll cut this out for the sake of authenticity. Um, Smith, the comedian, yeah, help Dave me Smith. out. Yeah. Dave Smith. Dave Smith. Yes. Yep. Um, he's got such a common name that it's, it's actually hard to remember. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was confusing him with Ben Stein who you just had on your podcast. Uh, yes, yes, so that's, yes. that's, that's my, uh, and they don't look anything like each other either. Both very very funny Jewish men. There you go. Yeah. That's what they have in common. Were, that was the category my mentally I'd put them exactly. in. Exactly. That's that's the box they're in for you. But uh, they they 
they had, and I thought this was a really interesting debate that that you hosted um, about the. It wasn't really about the future of the Libertarian Party. It was about the future of libertarianism and what we would best do to to promote these ideas and build our community and and get more traction in in popular culture. All of those things were discussed, and and uh, Dave wants to take over the Libertarian Party. Um, basically with Ron Paul guys, uh, Mises caucus guys, and, and Eric wants to use the Republican party as a vehicle to promote Liberty, um, uh, sort of arguing that that's how he got into Liberty because Ron Paul used the Republican party as that platform. Um, but the, you know, the, the question to me really got to what's, what's the biggest, what's the biggest platform? Because we're, we're not, we're not going to win it politics until we win upstream of politics in culture where we can tell that story in a way that's that's convincing to people that didn't read Moth, Rothbard or Mises and 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 it it sounds like you're headed in that in that same direction as well obviously that's why you started a podcast but what was your take on on that debate yeah, that's a tough one because it really does come down to strategy more than anything else because they, they, I think they both agree on probably almost everything or 95% like most libertarians do. Um, but and, and that was one debate where listening to it as the host, uh, every time one of them was talking, I thought that's the one who is winning the debate because that's how strong each of their arguments really were. So when Dave's talking, I'm like, oh, Dave's killing it. He's definitely winning. And then Eric starts talking like, nope, nope, he's got this. Uh, so I, I think they both make very compelling cases in their own way. And if, if we're just talking about what the largest platform is, obviously the Republican Party is a larger platform at this moment. Uh, if you're high up in the Republican Party, you can get on TV much more easily than if you're high up in the Libertarian Party. Um, they, they clearly have the platform. They're going to be on the national debate stage. Republican debates will be covered in four years. Um, libertarian debates uh, for their presidential nomination probably won't be on TV. They'll probably be on Lions of Liberty and other platforms like that. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have an entirely different landscape by then. Um, but so that's very clear to me, which is the the bigger platform. The question is, which platform can be more effective at actually delivering these ideas? And I think the argument against the Republican Party would be, yes, it's a bigger platform, but can we actually seize the reins of power in that platform? Can we actually get a foothold in that platform? And Eric would cite all the successes that they had, especially uh, through Young Americans for Liberty, electing, uh, quote unquote, Ron Paul libertarians and that, that sort of type of, of small R Republican into an, uh, a big R Republican office at the state level. And uh you know, I, I don't have a list of the people that I, they have gotten elected and I have not looked through their records. So I can't really speak to how how Ron Paul they are or not. Uh, I think they have certain standards that they go by. And I don't know who meets them and who doesn't or who would meet my standards and who wouldn't. So I can't really comment on that. But, um, you know, he certainly claims a, a large amount of success is currently presently taking place to that end. Um, and I think it also just comes down to how each of them are viewing the point of all this. I think Eric might be viewing things a little more in, look, we can actually get people in office here. We can actually get people in office at the state level. Pe more people in office at the state level can lead to more of that type of, of person at the congressional level and just find better laws. We can we can get better laws at the state level, maybe lower some regulations in certain states, uh, maybe get some more Massey type, Justin Amash type, Eric Brakey types in Congress. Um, I think that's that's kind of the perspective on that. Whereas Dave Smith 
fully realize that the Libertarian Party is not going to have much success at that level probably anytime soon. Yes, the Libertarian Party does get people in office uh, here and then. For the most part, the people that the Libertarian Party is able to get into office almost always, almost always is in nonpartisan races. It's when they don't have that have to attach the letter next to them because in any race where you have to attach an R or a D next to you, that's who's winning. One of them's winning, and it's, be it's because, hey, the system is set up that way. That's one reason. Also because the public is trained that way, and it's really hard to break people out of that sort of voting training because no matter how consistent the libertarians are or claim to be or want to be, uh, they don't really have brand credibility with the, the, votering, the, voting, the voting public in general. Uh, the voting public sees brand credibility in Republicans and Democrats. Why? Because they've been in power this whole time. So we know what we're getting there. Even if I disagree with Republicans or disagree with Democrats, I know this is the system, and I know these are the ones where, well, at least it's not all going to fall apart. At least they're not going to be doing crazy stuff like like ripping the roads out and making Walmart build my roads now. So I guess I guess I'll go with them. So so the only way the Libertarian Party has success is when those letters are just removed entirely, and then they can actually focus on ideas. And often Libertarians can be successful in, in that in that format. Um, and that is where we've seen those successes. Uh, Jeff Hewitt here in California, I think he oversees the most number of human beings of any like locally elected uh, officer of any libertarian uh, in the country. Uh, but again, he did that in a nonpartisan race where he was not hindered by that later, by that letter, by that label, or by not having the Republican or Democratic label next to them. So, uh, I mean, Dave Smith fully recognized that his, his real concept here is, okay, well, yes, the Libertarian Party is much smaller than the Republican Party, has much less power than, than the Republican Party, but we can take this thing over. Like we have the numbers. You can actually just do it right now. Uh, I think currently the Mises Caucus, rep, which is kind of representative of the Ron Paul wing, at least that's what they're going for, uh, of the Libertarian Party, they they sit somewhere between, it's all guesses here and to some extent, because um, it really just comes down to who shows up at conventions, ultimately, uh, somewhere around 30 to 40% of the party right now. Um, and then if you get a bunch of people that have big platforms, like Dave Smith, for example, being one of them, uh, bringing even more and more people into the party uh, under that banner, then yes, uh, it's much more likely the grab that group of people just based solely on numbers could quote unquote take over the Libertarian Party um, and, and at least be at the head of that, be putting out the hardcore messaging that they feel it should be putting out. Uh, whereas, yes, you might have little successes in the, in the Republican Party, uh, winning local races, slowly working towards uh, better political aims, um, but you're not going to really ever be able to take take control of it and use that platform uh, at the national stage. Uh, I think that's that's really the difference there. And my perspective, uh, I agree with both of them still. I don't know. I haven't been able to come to a point where I say, nope, we got to do the Dave Smith strategy. We got to do the Eric Brakey strategy. I like to think we can kind of do it all. Uh, people that want to be in one should just choose that one. If, if you find the Republican Party too disgusting, if you don't want to be you know, working about the, the ins and outs of politics to try to win little races here and there for marginal victories, then don't do that. You know, if, Then go join the Libertarian Party and maybe help with that. Um, or if you have time to do both, maybe do both. Uh, but we all have limited time in the day, in the month, on this earth entirely. So obviously everybody can't do everything. Um, and that's why they're out here having this debate, trying to convince certain people to put that energy um, into their particular strategy. Because the more humans, the more energy that they have, the more each of them will be successful. But I can't really say I'm rooting for one or the other. I just want to see more liberty, Matt. That's what I want. So however it comes about, it's great. And uh, I'm going to do my best to do my part through the podcast, through providing this platform to have debates like this. And, um, you know, people can people can do whatever they choose. I'm not going to be the one to tell them to, what to do.
Yeah, so I'm a I'm a rep- I, I agree with you actually, and I'm a I'm a recovering Republican who spent much of my career trying to make the Republican Party pro liberty and mm-hmm. and to Eric's defense, you were talking about numbers. If you compare way back when when Ron Paul was the only libertarian in Congress, um, it to me is quite striking that you have Rand Paul and Mike Lee in the Senate, and you have. Uh, Thomas Massey, and and I used to say Justin Amash. Justin's not there anymore. And there's there's a couple other guys, and I'm looking at a few of the folks in the freshman class that that might start to fill those ranks. But just the fact that you have, you know, what I would call a, a Liberty Caucus in Congress is not a small thing, particularly when it comes yeah. to the Senate, particularly when every uh, major vote might come down to one of those one of those guys. Um, doing that. So I, I sort of, you know, libertarians that trash Rand Paul, I'm not a big fan of because from my perspective, he's doing heroic work trying to get Donald Trump to be less uh, war hawkish. I mean, thank God somebody's doing that. Um, and in the same with these other guys. But I'm also a recovering Republican who left the party when when Donald Trump became its standard bearer. And I'm now a registered libertarian. I'm getting involved with the party. Um, but but my motives are slightly different. I think they're they're two complementary strategies because one is about power, as Eric said, and the other is really a cultural platform to talk about values and ideas and and tell stories, um, whether we like it or not. Presidential politics is a cultural event. Absolutely. And, and and Ron Paul is the guy who taught me that. So I I feel like you can do all of this. I I embrace the uh, Jerry Garcia ethos on this who famously built this massive community um, by insisting that he was never, ever going to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that is a fundamentally libertarian ethos. We None of us actually know enough to sort of devise this grand top-down strategy, which supposedly we don't actually believe in grand top-down strategies anyway. So um, I'm, a, I'm either a, a Garcia strategist or maybe I'm a Maoist because I want, I want to see a thousand flowers bloom here because we don't know what the secret sauce is. We got to find out. We got to discover it. Sure. If we knew, you know, here's the five steps to achieve liberty by 2024. Okay, then let's just do those steps. But nobody really knows. Uh, we're all trying to pave new ground here. And frankly, all of the all of these strategies excite me because it's it's getting people excited. The conversation is getting people excited. I mean, these episodes are by far my highest downloaded episodes. These these episodes where we debate these things. We actually did a repeat of the Dave Smith uh, Eric Brakey debate. Uh, this one was more like an informal conversation than a debate. But uh, Dave Rubin jumped into the mix because he caught wind of that debate and he you know he found it interesting. He wanted to hop on. So we did. We also included Dave Rubin in the last time we did that conversation. More as kind of a impartial commentator. He's he's kind of where we are, where he doesn't favor any particular one strategy, but certainly has a stake um, in seeing these ideas spread and seeing more people awaken to them and and choose their own path from there. Um, that's all I want to see. I mean, my ad- ideal world, we have a strong, kick-ass libertarian presidential candidate that can somehow get attention of people, somehow get people fired up, while we also have liberty Republicans winning. Heck, liberty Democrats, I don't care. I want to see it everywhere. And I'd love to see someone like like Rand Paul again. I, I'd give him another shot um, on the Republican debate stage or a Thomas Massey or an Eric Brakey, I think, would do amazing up there. I'd love to see everybody be successful at, at, the, at the path that they choose. And I think everybody should choose the path 
that's going to excite them the most. Most, um, If you're going to be way more excited trying to help Dave Smith take over the Libertarian Party, well, then by all means, go do that. Uh, or go get involved with, it doesn't have to be Dave Smith, go get involved with whoever you think can excite everybody the most about Libertarian ideas in the Libertarian Party, if that's what will excite you more. Because at the end of the day, I mean, this is what we learned from Ron Paul too. You have to be passionate and you have to have fun. Like this is a message that Ron Paul says over and over and over. He said it to uh, us. We were able to uh, get an awesome video message from Dr. Paul uh, celebrating my 500th episode. And that was that was basically his final, final message. And always remember to have fun. And that's also what we try to do at Lions of Liberty. We try to keep things fun. Yes, we are talking about serious issues. We're talking, we're having uh, somewhat intellectual conversations, you might say. Uh, but we're always trying to have fun. I mean, I think that's so important, whether when we're building our community out there or when you're at, at a libertarian event. Um, that's what we're focused on. We're focused on connecting with people, having fun, and getting people passionate about this stuff. And if you're passionate in whatever you do, that's going to come across to other people, and that's going to inspire them and excite them. So if you're going to be bored out of your mind trying to work your way uh, through a Republican meeting and through the Republican right, so that's going to drive you nuts, please don't do it because it's not going to help anything. It's going to drive you nuts and probably drive people away from what you're saying because you're going to be miserable doing it. Uh, but if you like that stuff, you know, I know people that like to go to Republican meetings and like to worm their way through politics. Cool. Do that then, you know, and, and leave the other people to, to do what they want to do. Follow whatever path is going to make you the most passionate follow whatever the path whatever path is going to excite you the most along the way because that's what is going to be more successful for you and for the people the other people on that same path you know if, if you bring excitement to the libertarian party strategy then that's just going to generate more excitement around others that are choosing that strategy as well and bring more people into that strategy same with the republican party strategy and we're just talking about two strategies these are not the only strategies out there my strategy is just to do all this through podcasting. And that, that's the way I'm going to do it. I don't know if I'll ever choose one of those paths politically. I'll just try to kind of be here to uh, help the conversation and, and help keep it going. But uh, we all have different things we're passionate about doing. For me, it's hopping on and having conversations like this about the ideas of liberty. That's where I'm going to focus my efforts. Everyone should focus their efforts on whatever part they're, well, I mean, what they're going to be passionate about and what they'll be good at. And hopefully those will be kind of the same thing. That seems like a good good place to, to take the, the final part of this conversation because I want to go back to the, the metaphor of of doing a podcast between two podcasters about podcasting. <laughs> yes, and um, I was thinking about you know one of one of my passions as as you know is drinking really good beer, and I'm Indeed. into really exotic styles of beer, and and I, I I'm particularly drawn to just like with my philosophy, perhaps I'm drawn to extreme styles. I love uh, triple IPAs, and I love bourbon barrel aged imperial stouts. They clock in at 16%. And one of the, one of the things I was asking my friend, uh, Jim Caruso, who's the founder and CEO of Flying Dog, and he, by the way, is is one of us. He's a, a objectivist libertarian. And he's, he's a bigger fish in that pond, but I was trying to understand why it is that all of these small nano breweries and, and small craft breweries, they're constantly collaborating with each other. Like you go to any one of these places, and two or three of their of their many beers on their list is something they brewed with the brewery next door or the brewery across the country or sometimes a brewery across the pond in in wherever. And um, his explanation was that if you know that you know the idea of of markets um, and libertarians sort of suck at this. We're constantly talking about competition and how great competition is. But in this case, collaboration makes more sense because they're trying to break through in a marketplace that is dominated by big Budweiser, right? 
So collaboration makes more sense than competition, even if, if it's with the brewery down the street. And I feel like there's, I mean, there's a metaphor there for podcasters, certainly libertarian podcasters who are trying to build a bigger community, but maybe also for the libertarian movement. Because one of the things that I've discovered since becoming a libertarian is how much energy and time goes into shitting on each other on Twitter. And I'm like, guys, there's enough work to go around. I, I think we might actually learn from from collaboration. How do we stop fighting and start start like collaborating and doing beautiful things and and having fun? I, I love that. Sure. I mean, collaboration has been such a big part of our growth as a podcast. I mean, we, we're constantly connecting to other libertarian podcasters doing uh, the aforementioned uh, podcast about podcasts, about people that have podcasts, by people that have podcasts. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's been such a key to our growth and, and is viewing the libertarian podcast community or the liberty, you know, broader liberty podcast community as a community. Um, yes, we are competing against each other, I guess, to some extent, because everyone's going to have to choose. You know, at this point, I open my podcast app and I've got like 20 podcasts, 20 new podcasts every day. So I can't possibly, I literally, the time doesn't exist to try to listen to every podcast that I, that I want to listen to in theory. So we're all choosing, we're all choosing which one we're going to click on. Uh, so we're in competition for, for ear time, I guess, no matter what, but that's never been the way I've, I've viewed it. I'm not, I'm not trying to shut, I'm not trying to get my other libertarian podcasters and put them out of business so I can take over. Um, but and collaborating with other podcasters has been huge. Um, sometimes in just a, a way like we're collaborating where I've, you were on my show a couple of weeks ago. I'm on your show now. Our audiences find out a little bit more about each other. Hopefully there's a little more crossover. Some of them stick to each of our shows. We just collaborated. We just grew each of our communities a little bit. Um, but we've even gone as far as we've shared ads with other podcasts. We'll, we'll, I'll run an ad for them. They'll run an ad for me. And yeah, I'm, I'm telling people about the competition, but that's because I really want people to, I'm not just doing this as a business. Um, it is also a business, but it's not just a business. Like if I wanted to, again, if we were just doing it as a business and just wanted to make money, there are a million ways we could you know, focus our time better. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't podcast to make money. You can make money podcasting, but I would not recommend podcasting to make money, uh, if that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, collaborating with the competition and, uh, you know, whether it's through ads or through different programs we run or, you know, we'll do crossover podcasts with other, with other libertarian podcasts. We're always trying to integrate our audiences and it's not just to grow the shows, uh, but it's because I really, I really want these ideas out there. I, I don't care if somebody gets excited about these ideas because they heard it from Lions Liberty, because they heard it from Matt Kibbe, because they heard it on We Are Libertarians, because they heard it from Pete Quinones. I don't really care whose style works for you. And every, and that's what's great about having the diversity. Uh, same thing with the craft beers. Uh, you know, everyone's going to have their different taste, their different style. The Mark Claire style is not going to be everyone's style. There's going to be people that just can't stand to listen to my voice. That's cool. I'm not upset about that. Uh, I'm okay if they find my podcast, don't love it, but they find another one they do love from my podcast and they get just as excited about the ideas that way. I'm totally fine with that result. Of course, I'd love if they all just find it from Lions Liberty and that's that's the only place they ever want to be for their for their libertarian conversations. Uh, but that's not reality. And I, that's really, actually, that sounds boring too. That doesn't even sound that fun because I, I love so many other libertarian podcasts and, and a Liberty-esque podcasts out there. I love the variety and I would go nuts if I only had Lions Liberty <laughs> to listen to. Uh, so the variety is huge and it is, it's very similar to, to craft beers as the connection you were making there uh, because there's 
the, the, the variety is the point. You know, that's the point of craft beers. Uh, it's not to find the best craft beer and drink that beer all the time. No, it's it's to have that variety and to have uh, constant experimentation and, and constant new flavors coming in. So uh, I think that's a very apt analogy you made, uh, right? Right to libertarian podcasts, to podcasts in general, to any real, real niche, especially nowadays, things are becoming so decentralized no matter what's, what field you're in and everyone's got to kind of have their own unique flavor, but no one can, that no one's unique flavor is going to be the unique flavor for everybody. So speaking of uh, collaboration um, and, and beer, I'm thinking about uh, Porkfest, mm-hmm. which is happening this year. Uh, do you think you're going to make it this year? I'm hoping so. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things at play here. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things at play. That's all I could say. We can talk a little bit more off air, but I, I have a lot of personal things going on in terms of uh, what I'm doing, and some of them involve the government, some of them involve the the company I work for. But at the end of the day, we're gonna make our best to make it happen. So I'm I'm very much hoping so. It's a you know it's another one of those experiments that's very different than anything we've talked about. The Free State Project and Porkfest is a is an actual effort to populate a state with libertarian-minded people to see what would happen if, if we if we did something like that. It also happens to be within driving distance of one of my favorite breweries, so I may have multiple agendas when I go up there, that but it, um, it's one of those places where I get that sense of, of collaboration, and I, I would just mm-hmm. urge everyone to sort of embrace your ethos and understand if you're liberty-minded, um, Focus, focus on our common enemy, big authoritarian, endless war government, and maybe spend a little bit less time uh, trying to destroy somebody else on Twitter. I don't know. I don't, I don't have enough time to argue with my friends anymore. And uh, my cat Rourke has just joined the program <laughs> um, because he's a libertarian as well. But uh, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. Tell me where we get more Mark Claire and Lions of Liberty. Oh man, you can get it everywhere. I mean, there's the there's the basics. There's the lionsofliberty.com. You can follow us on Twitter, of course, at Lions of Liberty. Uh, for more, Mark Claire specifically, I also have my own Twitter at Mark D. Claire. That is Mark with a C, not a K. Um, and uh, you can also find. I also have another podcast uh, with our mutual friend, I believe, Remzo Martinez. Uh, we do a totally non-libertarian podcast called the Second Print Comics Podcast, where we take a look at comic book storylines, comic book events uh, from years and decades past, uh, stories that that inspired our fan, our fanhood. And uh, I say that it's not a political podcast, and it's not, but this is something that I'm encouraging all libertarians to do: is find areas in the culture that you're passionate about and get involved in them, not as libertarians just as yourself, but if you happen to be a libertarian and you happen to gain a following from those areas, I mean, if you become a leader in a different community, people are going to you know, learn to follow you, learn to respect you, learn to respect your opinions. And if they then later hear something libertarian out of your mouth, well, they might actually take it more seriously than they would have otherwise. Uh, that's not necessarily the strategy behind the podcast. We, we're doing the podcast because we love the subject and we love doing it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, being involved in the culture in, in non-political areas is actually what will help you influence political areas more because the culture is politics. And the more we realize that and the more we get involved in in that in whatever way, again, whatever subjects we're passionate about, whatever areas we're knowledgeable in, I encourage people to create their own platforms and um, you know just, just get involved in some way, shape, or form because everyone has something to share with people. Everyone has knowledge, even if you don't think you do. I thought there's no there's nothing I could add to the, to the world by starting a podcast, but I guess I have to do it because the podcast I want isn't out there. 
But something I've learned is, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I absolutely do, because I have my own life experiences. I have my own interpretation of things. I have my own way I've processed things. And if I have my own way about things, other people do too. And it's going to, you know, my way is going to connect with other people, hopefully. Uh, it has in some ways, and hopefully it inspire people to also create their own platform. So I just want to encourage people to get out there and do something, whatever it may be. But for us, it, our, our, our sort of side project was the Second Print Comics podcast. So you can find that uh, wherever podcasters are found as well, wherever podcasts are found, I should say. And that's about it. You can also, oh, you can also read my Substack. I started a Substack back in January. I write whenever I write. Sometimes it's two or three times a week. Sometimes it's every two weeks because I decided I'm not going to put pressure on myself. I'm just going to write when I'm inspired to do so. So that's when you'll see posts from me over at markclair.substack.com. I think that's it. Yeah, I was checking it out. And if it's any indication of your persuasiveness, um, my cat is really digging what you have to say. So that's that's not nothing. <laughs> Well, I've got I've got the the libertarian cat vote locked in, so that's something. Yeah, totally. Okay, thanks, man. Thanks, Matt. Hey, man, that was fun. Yeah, cool. That was amazing. Where can I get more content just like that? It's a great question. You're clearly a discerning consumer of the best content. Make sure to like the video, subscribe, and click the bell. And if you're consuming podcasts, go to Apple, Stitcher, anywhere you get them. I'm in Kibbe on Liberty. Honest conversations with interesting people.